0: Hello, my name is Barbara, and this is Neuroscience Amateur Hour. Welcome back to our normally scheduled programming. I am all done with big meetings for a little while, and if you are curious how it went, it went great. Our project is slowly but surely coming together and feeling like a complete story. So today's episode will focus on the neuroscience of too much social media, something that I am very, very guilty of. This episode was recommended by a listener. You know who you are. I don't want to say your name because I don't know if I can, but thank you so, so much for reaching out and letting me know what you wanted to learn about. I'm really excited to do this. So let's get into it. Social media is omnipresent. Mindless scrolling through TikTok and Instagram reels is just a part of our daily lives now. Whether it's cat videos, funny dances, or cool outfits, online content fills our excess time, entertains us, and keeps us connected with our friends and the people we look up to. As my housemate says... Sometimes we're living in the real R-E-E-L world, not the real R-E-A-L world. Okay, so I want you to close your eyes, unless you're driving, don't, don't do that. Uh, I, don't want, I don't want you to get into an accident. But I want you to imagine the effects of social media on your life. You've probably got a snap street going with a friend across the country, or your morning was full of fun cat videos while you ate your breakfast. But have you ever bought something you didn't intend to because you saw it on an influencer or as part of a trend? Have you ever gotten a little bit sad because it looks like your friends are out there living their best lives while you're trudging through the mundane rhythm of your own? Have you ever found it hard to disconnect from your phone? Scrolling through Facebook might be the last thing you look at before you go to sleep and the first thing you check in the morning. The effects of social media on our psyche and our brains are decidedly complicated. But it's no secret that spending too much time on social media may not be very good for us. Why? Let's find out together. Well, first things first, social media was developed to connect people who were apart, either by space or time. It makes it easier to connect with friends and loved ones all over the globe, and for that, I am insanely grateful. But nowadays, much of social media is geared towards keeping your attention and your engagement. But you've heard that word before for as long as possible. The appeal of social media is based on our most basic instincts, the desire to belong to a group. If you think back to caveman you, it was much safer and more advantageous to be part of a big group. Predators weren't going to get you, finding food and resources was easier if the work was divided, and you were more likely to find a partner to reproduce with. So this kind of group-seeking behavior, now translated to an online playing field, is, in fact, rewarded. You might be sitting here and thinking, okay, wait, what? What does evolution and Facebook have to do with each other? But think about the way that Facebook is structured. Everyone you connect with on Facebook is labeled as a friend, making you think that you're part of a large social group. You can even join subgroups for specific interests, driving that point even further home. Comments on someone's post make you feel like you're actually talking to them, and likes are a way of reassuring us that we're valuable and wanted members of this group or society. And because all of these things feel good, others engaging with your content feels good, getting likes feels good, because all of these things tap into the brain's pleasure center, the nucleus accumbens. This brain region, part of the dopamine reward pathway, is the same one that processes rewarding feelings associated with eating good food, sex, money, and social acceptance. When you do something rewarding, dopamine neurons in the VTA, the ventral tegmental area, release dopamine onto another important brain region, the nucleus accumbens. This activation of the reward or mesolimbic pathway in the brain influences conscious processing of rewarding stimuli, motivating us to continue that behavior. In fact, Researchers recorded the actual Facebook usage of 62 participants on their smartphones over the course of some five weeks and then measured the activity of their nucleus accumbens. And they were able to show that higher activity in the nucleus accumbens is associated with gaining reputation on social media. So we've established that social media is tapping into some of our most basic instincts to reward us for doing so. This isn't a negative thing on its own. Think about it, the exact same mechanism underlies having sex, it's rewarding to procreate, or eating a healthy meal because your body is getting the nutrients it needs to function. But like both of those examples, too much of a seemingly good thing can be really, really bad for you. We're all about balance in the end. Social media addiction is not officially classified as a psychiatric disorder, but it does share some characteristics with addiction disorders like gambling or drug use. In general, like other behavioral addictions, it may mean that you use social media compulsively or excessively, to the point where it may interfere with other areas of your life. If you're scro- doom scrolling Facebook mindlessly at work all day when you probably should be working, you might want to reevaluate your social media habits. See, if you use social media to boost your mood every day or even every hour, Over time, your brain adjusts, and you start to require that same dosage of Facebook to get your mood up. You might even go through withdrawal if you suddenly stop using social media for a bit. Have you ever taken a camping trip where you don't have any service, which, you know, is most of them, but all of a sudden your brain feels kind of empty, like you don't have anything to do, and you're like, wow, I'm kind of uncomfortable. That's weird, right? So, the addictive nature of social media makes it a prime medium for advertisements. It's how many corners of the internet make their money. Many influencers are spokespeople for brands and companies because they know that they have your attention and they want to use it to get you to spend money. But beyond your wallet, social media addiction may result in some psychological impacts. Over time, people develop low self-esteem, increased isolation and loneliness, Anxiety or depression, social anxiety disorder, disrupted sleep patterns, decreased physical activity, and reduced ability to empathize with others. Let's go through some of these. Let's start with low self-esteem. So a paper titled The Impact of Social Media on Self-Esteem demonstrated that approximately 88% of people, of the participants that they looked at, engage in making social comparisons comparing their lives to the ones that they see on the screen, with the vast majority of those making upward social comparisons, so comparing their lives with those that they think are better than theirs. Overall, increase the amount of social media consumed, and you'll observe a significant decrease in self-esteem scores. More Facebook makes you feel shittier. (laughs) I found this really cool paper out of the Max Planck Institute, that characterizes the neural and computational processes underlying dynamic changes in self-esteem. So they put a bunch of people in an MRI machine to track their neural activity, and simultaneously they were evaluated by two groups that could either give them a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So they were either approving of that person or disapproving of that person. Over time, participants began to expect certain feedback from certain groups, with one group overwhelmingly giving positive feedback and the other negative. But when an individual got a thumbs down from an overwhelmingly positive group, their self-esteem would take a hit. Researchers found that self-esteem depends on whether other people like the participants and on whether they were liked or disliked more than expected. So our own expectations are a key part in determining our self-esteem. When an individual received negative feedback from someone that they expected to get positive feedback from, their self-esteem decreased the most, and researchers observed that these moment-to-moment changes correlated with activity in the ventromedial prefrontal cortex, a brain region that's important for valuation or establishing the value of things. Value representations in this brain region are updated in real time by these signals that are like Reward prediction errors, so think like expected valuation minus actual value. Too big of a difference, and your self-esteem will drop. This paper is especially cool because they used a computational model in conjunction with evaluating psychiatric symptoms to identify a dimension of interpersonal vulnerability and the changes in the brain associated with that state. In short, they have a way of measuring low self-esteem in the brain that would be incredible for helping people with psychiatric disorders, especially with those that are made worse by low self-esteem. But I bet you can now see how spending a lot of time on social media might contribute to lower self-esteem. If we see the highlight reel of someone else's life, that becomes your expected value. And if you compare it to your actual life, filled with normal, everyday, mundane things, that's your actual value, and the difference between the two can be quite large, lowering your self-esteem over time. Pretty cool, right? Alright, another point is increased isolation and loneliness. Kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? For, For a platform that's meant to make us feel like part of a group, why would spending time on social media make us feel more lonely? In fact, there's some evidence to show that this current generation, the one that uses social media the most, is also the one that's the loneliest. Loneliest. (laughs) One of the benefits of conversing with someone via social media is that communication is immediate. Despite you and your friend being miles apart or both at work, you can text or snap or DM each other in seconds. But what this kind of communication is lacking is intimacy. Intimacy. That closeness of being with someone else. This this is kind of somewhat corroborated by a study that examined the effects of image-based platforms versus text-based platforms. Think uh, like Instagram or Snapchat versus Twitter. They found that, overall, the more image-based platforms someone used, the more happiness they reported compared to text-based platforms. A photo of your friend or a picture of their meal at a restaurant, especially if you can like hear their voice or something, is more likely to signal to the brain that your friend is really there and stave off any self-reported loneliness. The reason why is because these image-based platforms offer somewhat more intimacy than a text-based one would. And it turns out that loneliness on its own is kind of really bad for us. In fact, it's associated with a 26% increase in the risk of premature mortality. So some experimental studies have shown that social (laughs) isolation produces significant changes in brain structures and processes in adult social animals. Now, these effects aren't, you know, uniform across the brain, but instead are evident in brain regions that reflect differences in functional demands of solitary versus social living. In fact, some researchers ha- I can't speak today. Some researchers have been able to predict loneliness by looking at the connections between the prefrontal, limbic, and temporal systems in human beings. It's kind of scary, right? But these feelings of low self-esteem and increased loneliness might lead to more severe psychological issues such as anxiety and depression. Now finally, I want to look at how too much social media might fuck with your sleep patterns. The first and most obvious reason is that why you might suffer worse sleep is that you're simply staying up later on your phone and not getting those necessary seven to eight hours of sleep a night. This is especially detrimental for children and teenagers because sleep is fundamental for proper growth and memory consolidation and a bunch of good health things. But another pretty cool reason why increased time spent on your phone might lead to poor sleep hygiene is because of blue light. It turns out that exposure to blue light in the evening and the night time increases alertness and improves performance on reaction time tasks. This is probably because blue light suppresses the natural onset of melatonin in the evening, which in turn results in a phase delay of your circadian rhythm, your internal clock of night and day sleep and wake. It might also be the reason why you take melatonin if you can't sleep, for example. It's also thought that blue light exposure might activate brain networks that underlie many aspects of cognitive performance, such as working memory. Working memory is the kind of memory that holds information temporarily. For example, if you need to memorize a temporary password because you got locked out of your email account for the 15th time. The way that this is thought to work is that blue light activates melanopsin photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. Long name, I know. Cells in your eyes that respond to light coming in. These cells will normally predict to the hypothalamus and the areas around it. If these cells are activated, they can in turn activate a brain region called the locus coeruleus, which I'm going to be completely honest with you, that is the first time I have ever heard of this thing. Yeah, but it's a cool name. But irrelevant, this locus corellus, which in turn broadly releases norepinephrine, which is a fun neurotransmitter, all over the cerebral cortex, leading to an increase in alertness. The reason that working memory might be improved is because activation of the LC, locus something something, uh, leads to an increased activation of the prefrontal cortex, which can plausibly influence neural processes associated with working memory. But yeah. Social media is a double-edged sword. On one hand, it allows us to stay in contact with friends and loved ones, stay aware of what's going on in the world, learn cool things, interact with cool trends. It's a whole world. But at the same time, it's no secret that social media can be addictive and spending too much time on the internet might lead to decreased self-esteem, increased loneliness, higher rates of anxiety and depression, and some truly fucked up sleep. So maybe turn off your phone once in a while, go on a walk, read a book, go to bed early, call up your friend, get some food, obviously COVID permitting, you know? But that is a bite-sized look at the neuroscience of too much social media. Again, thank you so much to the listener who recommended this episode. You are a lovely human being. I hope that you enjoyed and that you learned something new. I've cited all my relevant sources and papers in the show notes And you should keep an eye out on Instagram for some cool figures that I think are pertinent. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, or complaints, please email me at neuroscienceamateurhour at gmail.com or DM me at neuroscienceamateurhour on Instagram. This podcast is available on pretty much any platform I can think of, so please recommend it to your friends and loved ones. Also, if you have something you really want to learn about, please contact me. I will probably answer you and you'll probably see an episode about it soon. Happy researching, and I hope to see you again.